Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning. So good to see you guys this morning as we continue uh, through our study in the book of Ephesians. We are, we are almost done. We have this week and next week, two weeks, and we will be done. We're in week 15. Let me say welcome to all of you joining us online. We are excited and uh, blessed to have you with us as we continue our study. If you have a Bible and you want to join me in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, again, we'll, uh, we'll look at a few verses today, and then we'll wrap it up next week. And these two kind of go together, uh, so, so you kind of want to be here for both. You're here today, so come back next week, and you're going to see how they kind of fit together as Paul wraps up his letter. So as you're turning there, a couple things I want to highlight and celebrate together. Uh, you guys, we just wrapped up Day of Hope collection, and you guys are always over the top generous you reflect the generosity of God in so many ways and this is just another one of those ways we we asked you to bring uh, to to collect a hundred bags you gave over 120 bags to the day of hope a project so thank you church way to go come on Uh, Kids Club, our, our five weeks of Kids Club just wrapped up this past uh, week, five weeks of ministry to kids. We had, uh, on average, over 80 kids and 26 volunteers helping us through those five weeks. So, so thank you for that. Come on, church. Thank you. And then a couple weeks ago, we had something that this church has never experienced in in a single day, and that was 33 baptisms. And so if you weren't able to be there with us, I just want you to know it's one of the largest baptisms we've ever had in the history of our church. And so, yeah, amen. But this morning, I want to share the highlight videos to so check out the screens.
Amen, church. Amen. What an incredibly special day for all of you who were baptized, and we got to be a part of that. Congratulations. It is an incredible honor, always has been, uh, to be able to be a part of that moment in a, uh, a person's life, and uh, our church got to experience it in a very big way a couple weeks ago. We're very grateful to God for helping us with some of those baptisms. He gave us a wave right at the right, at the right time to help with some of that. So uh, there was uh, there was so many stories that came out of that. I just want you to hear and understand that God is moving in and through our church. And that's not just because of a certain group of people or anybody in particular. It's because all of us together, God is using us to share the good news of the gospel Jesus Christ with others. So way to go, church. What an incredible day. All right? Okay, let's get into this. Uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, the battle begins. We have said the structure of Ephesians is typical for a letter by Paul stating first the doctrine, the, the truths, the principles, and then he moves on to duty and application. So chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Ephesians is primarily the doctrine. Chapters 4 through 6 is dealing with the application or the duty. And then we get to this part in chapter 6, and it includes a description of the spiritual battle that we face. And Back way back in April, I, at the beginning of this series, in the very first week, I mentioned an author, a pastor, a theologian. His name was Watchman Nee, and he wrote a, a book about Ephesians, a really small book, but he titled it Sit, Walk, Stand. And we said sit pictures our new position in Christ, as Paul teaches us. Walk really describes how we are to live now in that new position in the world. And then stand captures our resistance against our spiritual enemy. And so we're in the stand portion today, and you do well to remember that as we get uh, into this text. So Paul, as he moves from the first part of chapter 6 and everything that he's been saying, he transitions rather shockingly, kind of abruptly. And, and for those in the first century who would have been hearing this or reading this from Paul at the church of Ephesus, they would have kind of like listened up, sat up, and listened to this part. I mean, the sections leading up to this, we go from unity, we go from purity, diversity, harmony, all of that was stressed by Paul as the traits of a disciple in their new life life with Jesus, and it's also traits of, of a disciple in the new family of God. And it was beautiful, and it's desirable. And then we get to this part, and bam, Paul says, oh, by the way, it's not going to be easy. Reality is to set in. One writer said it like this. He says, if we are walking worthy of our calling in humility rather than pride, in unity rather than divisiveness, in the new self rather than the old, in love rather than lust, in light rather than darkness, in wisdom rather than foolishness, in the fullness of the spirit rather than the drunkenness of wine, in mutual submission rather than self-serving independence, then we can be absolutely certain we will have opposition and conflict. When I was growing up, one of my favorite shows, one of my favorite cartoons was G.I. Joe. We have any G.I. Joe cartoon fans in here? And if you aren't, you're miss, you missed out. I'm sorry. But it was one of the best. If you don't know anything about that show, the famous line was, knowing is half the battle. Now, I'm not sure this is totally accurate, um, that it's half the battle is knowing, but I do know that it's certainly a big part of the battle. It's a big part of the strategy to win. And Paul knows that we need to know. 
Paul knows that we need to have this reality check, that those listening in the first century, us listening now, need to have this reality check. And so in the closing part of his letter, he helps us to understand this. But not only just to understand it, not only to be knowledgeable about the enemy that we face, but to equip us, and that'll be next week. That's why these two go together. Equip us to persevere. Equip us to endure. Equip us to really keep running the race, as Paul would use another analogy in our, in our Christian life. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, or if you're new, you might already be experiencing this, it's not easy. There is struggle and conflict. It's not always a smooth road. When we are in relationship to God through our relationship with Jesus, it brings us, first of all, into a conflict with ourselves. There's a self-awareness that happens when we recognize that, that there is indwelling sin here, that there is a darkness that lingers in our hearts as we, as we try to find righteousness, as we battle for righteousness within ourselves. There's also a, a, a battle that that we have around us when we're in relationship with God through Christ that there is that we are at odds with the world around us because we have a different set of values and convictions that we live by and knowing God in relationship through Christ also puts us at odds with spiritual forces of evil we fight against evil within us we fight against evil around us and we fight against evil beyond us that's why God's word tells us that we face three enemies three enemies the flesh the world, and the devil. And Paul understood all that. He, he, he had all that down. He understood all that. And again, in this final section that we start today and finish next week, he's going to highlight the enemy that maybe we overlook the most. Maybe we don't give it enough time. The spiritual forces of evil. I mean, think about it. Think about it. We're, we're led to believe everywhere we turn that our fight and struggle is against flesh and blood. We've got a method or a program. We, we've got a, a, some sort of prefab human answer to, to every problem that you and I may face throughout our lives. There's, there's a program for that. There's a plan for that, right? If you have problem A, here is the answer. Here's answer A for that. Like, if this is your struggle, here are the steps that you need to follow. If you do these things, you'll overcome. Well, Paul, in his words to us here, this is why this is very important, because he reminds us that that's just not the, the way. That's just not the way in the Christian life because our context and the context of our struggle is one that transcends human horizons. So with that said, let's look at our text today. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The great British writer and thinker C.S. Lewis, and if you're not familiar with C.S. Lewis, if you've watched the uh, Chronicles of Narnia uh, movies or read any of the books, then you are actually familiar with C.S. Lewis. Uh, he wrote a fascinating book, absolutely fascinating book called The Screwtape Letters. And the Screwtape Letters is Lewis's kind of account of two, two demons talking to one another, like they're writing letters to one another. One's a higher-up demon, one's a lower-level demon. And this is what he says. He, it, it's a very, he takes a very serious reality uh, look at the devil. And listen to what he says in the introduction to that book. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. 
One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. See, Lewis is right. There, there are two equal and opposite errors. One is nothing is the devil, and the other is everything's the devil. But God's word doesn't approach the reality of supernatural evil in some sort of mystical or ethereal way. The Bible, the Apostle Paul says here, here's the truth. He says, look, here, here's the reality. Here's the truth. There's a devil. There are demons. There is spiritual evil in the world, and we need to know that. Not only do we need to know that, we need to reckon with that if we're going to have any hope, any hope of wisely and intelligently fighting evil in ourselves and the world around us. Otherwise, he, he, he's saying our understanding of evil, if we don't take it serious, will be too reductionistic. It'll be too simplistic, and it won't do justice to the reality that actually exists. So we do well to listen to his words of wisdom here as he brings it up in the last part of this letter. And we're going to see three things. I want us to notice three things about the enemy, and here's the first one, the schemes of the enemy. Look back at verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And the word schemes is a really interesting word in the Greek language. Uh, the Greek word is the plural of methodia. As you might guess, that's where we get the words method and methodical. They are related to it. Outside the New Testament and other Greek writings, this, the verbal form was used both positively and neutrally with the meaning like to treat methodically or to handle according to plan. But over time, this, word, this methodia, the word methodia, took on really a darker sense, a darker hue, to handle craftily, to deceive, to overreach, to scheme. And here's something that's really interesting. In the New Testament, the word methodia occurs only two times, only twice in the New Testament. And they're just a couple of chapters apart. They're right here in Ephesians. To describe the schemes of the devil, what we just read in verse 11 in chapter 6, and in chapter 4, verse 14, the schemes of false teaching. This is, what, this is what Paul wrote in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, and he's admonishing the Christians, right, who are, who are hearing this. He says, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So, so if, if nothing else, the, this means that one of the many schemes of the devil, one of the many schemes of the devil is to use, as Paul would say, the blowing winds of doctrine taught by cunning people to methodically lead astray the people of God. We could categorize that as false teachers. And with our connected world, with the, the digital age, with, with every turn, you could, you could hear someone talk about a topic and, and claim to be an expert or claim to know or be in the know. We, are, we do well to understand the caution and the warning here, right? That's why knowing the word is so vital to our fight against the enemy. And we'll talk more about that next week as we get into the armor. See, I think we tend to think, look, look. If your head is spinning around and, and, and there's strange voices coming from your mouth, well, maybe that's the devil. But otherwise, probably not. But what the Bible wants us to see this morning, what Paul wants us to see this morning, is that the devil is way craftier than that. That's too simplistic. 
Now, Satan practices guerrilla warfare. Here's one way this plays out. If you talk very long to, to anyone from other cultures, say, say Costa Rica or beyond, uh, they will tell you, say oftentimes they'll tell you some sort of bizarre story that has these overt expressions, like these observable expressions of spiritual warfare, demonic activity. And this is what happens. Here's the question that I tend to get asked. If there really is a devil and this stuff really happens, how come it never happens in my zip code? Like, like, how come the weird demonic stuff isn't happening right here, right now? How come that's few and far between in our experience? Doesn't that prove it doesn't really happen? And the answer to that is no. The reason that stuff doesn't happen here is because the devil, he's methodical. He's cunning. He's clever. Think about this. If that happened to you, if you witnessed that, it might actually serve to lead you in the understanding there is a spiritual world and it might actually drive you toward God, not away from him. Satan's way smarter than that. He knows the best strategy in the West is to let the philosophy professors keep on teaching, the non-believers keep on blogging, and to let our skepticism keep on growing. See, he's clever. He's a cunning enemy, and he knows how to use our cultural assumptions against us. He's methodical. He's scheming. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Not only do we understand the schemes of the enemy, but we need to know the strength of the enemy. Look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Flesh and blood, as he says here, this does not mean that no evil is flesh and blood, but much of the evil we actually encounter in the world is flesh and blood. Remember false teachers, right? But this is the important part. This is so important to understand. This text is not saying that, that the kind of, that kind of evil doesn't exist. It's saying that when you and I, when we encounter real flesh and blood manifestations of evil or wickedness, Behind and beyond that is a deeper spiritual reality. Our struggle, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with the deeper underlying spiritual forces that lie behind the more visible evil that we see on the surface. We have to get that. We have to, and here's why we have to understand that. That this truth is what allows you and I, as Christians, interacting with the world, and we, again, the world's one of those enemies, as Christians, to fight evil without demonizing people. Without demonizing people. If we don't understand spiritual evil, then what we will do and what we will end up doing is demonizing the people we disagree with because they will become the enemy. See, Paul is telling us our enemy is not flesh and blood. There's something deeper that we're fighting which allows us to actually fight evil without doing that, without demonizing people too. It's crucial then for us to understand this, for our engagement, for our wise and grace-filled engagement against the evil in the world, that the devil gets us to fight each other and not him, then he wins, right? If all we're doing is fighting amongst ourselves, fighting one another, and we're not fighting him collectively or together, then he wins. He wins. If you notice back in verse 12, Paul, he says, for we do not wrestle 
against flesh and blood. Wrestle, it's a pers- is, it means this is personal. The, the word translated wrestle indicates like a hand-to-hand fight, like close combat fighting. Like we're not fighting like from here to the back of the auditorium or across. The, we're fighting up close and personal. This And it's for all of us. It's an it's a up-close and personal battle for all of us. All of us are going to have this fight against the devil and his, his minions, which is another reason why we need one another. And you notice that he highlights the strength of the enemy here by, by using these terms like compounding terms, right? Look at, if you look at the terms that are used, he talks about that they are rulers, they are authorities, they are the cosmic powers, they are the spiritual forces of evil. Have you noticed something else about each one of those words? They're plural. It's not just one, right? It's this hierarchy. The Bible commentators, they're not even actually sure. I mean, if you go, they're all over the place with these actual words. They're not sure what the difference is in between these terms. They, they're not even sure if there's just a subtle nuance. But what is clear is that Paul is piling these terms up in this verse to help us see the power and the complexity of the enemy that we fight. He is... He is cunning, he is scheming, he is methodical, and he is powerful. To really help us see that the devil is powerful and strong, Paul puts all these together. Like, there's layers here. There's categories to his forces and his ways and how he works. And the thing about it is they're evil. They're not Christ-like. They're not, their desire isn't to, to bring goodness. They oppose goodness. Their desire is to spread evil. And if just the kind of press in on this point and the power of the enemy. Let me, let me show you a few other verses that kind of bring this point home from, from John and from Paul again and from even Jesus. First John 5, 19, John writes, We know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's powerful. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In their case, the God, little g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's powerful. Ephesians, again, if we were to go back into our own study, Ephesians 2, verse 2, in which you once walked, Paul telling us who we are, following the course of this world. And if we're following the course of this world, who are we following? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's powerful. In, in Jesus' words to Paul, that is recorded as Paul, as Luke is recording in the book of Acts, Acts 26, verse 18, Paul's recounting what Jesus has said to him. And so these are Jesus' words to Paul and what Paul's commission was. And this is, he's telling Paul this about the, uh, the Gentiles. He says, to open their eyes. Remember? Remember what we just read, that, that, the power, that Satan has the power to, to, to the unbeliever to keep them from seeing? He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And back in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, a little bit later in that letter to the church in Corinth, Paul writes in verses 14 and 15, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants, again, plural, he's got, it's not just one, right? Also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. 
powerful, powerful. The strength of our enemy. See, the devil specializes in mixing just enough truth with falsehood to make it seem plausible. That's one of his powerful schemes that he uses, probably one of the most powerful schemes that he uses. It's what he used to, to, to come against Eve and Adam in, in the garden. It's what, it's what he did. He, he used just enough truth with falsehood to lead into that temptation, into sin. And we know from that point there was sin. Heresy is truth out of proportion. And the twisting the truth is his specialty. It's what he does best. He's the father of lies, as Jesus calls him. So again, one of the keys to effectively fighting evil is to have that appropriate understanding of the enemy. That he's a schemer, he's methodical, he's cunning, he's crafty, he's clever, the father of lies, right? But he's also incredibly powerful. We need to see that there's a complexity to spiritual evil so that we recognize that... that here's, Here's why we need to see that. We need to see it so that you and I recognize we're in over our head. You and I are in over our head. We can't possibly fight this enemy alone. We can't possibly defeat this enemy. We need help. We need help. We need strength, which leads me to my third point. How do you stand against this enemy? How do you stand? I told you to remember that word. We're in the stand portion. Go back into our text, starting in verse 11. Look at what he says again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13, I know I'm going a little bit farther, going into next week's text, but it's okay. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand Firm, And in the very first part of verse 14, stand therefore. Did you see it? (laughs) Did you hear me emphasize it? (laughs) What is the word? Stand, right? Stand is the key. Now, every boxer, every wrestler will tell you it all begins with your stance. If you want to be an effective fighter, right? If you want to be an effective fighter, you have to develop the right stance. You have to develop the right posture because the right posture, your stance produces stability, and stability produces longevity and perseverance, the go, all the rounds, right? You every every person who's ever you know, done something in the wrestling or boxing field will tell you that. So how do we defeat the devil? Paul says, stand. See, it's possible for you and I to read this passage and the rest of what I kind of went in and what we'll look at next week and get caught up in this armor of God that we're going to look at in detail next week. It's possible for us to get so focused on the armor that we miss the baseline command of the text, the thing that's said before the armor is even described, the baseline command of this text, which is to do what? To stand. None of the armor that Paul describes for us matters if we're not standing. It does no good for us, right? If you're, not, if you're not in a fighting stance, if you're not ready for spiritual conflict, that armor will do nothing. But if you are in that fighting stance, if you're stable, if, if you're in that place where you have stability, you're ready because you know a conflict is coming, you know it's around you, right? If you're expecting the fight and you're in a stance, now what do you want to know? What weapons do I have at my disposal? What's the first rule in a street fight? Find a bigger weapon than your opponent. 
And if I'm in that position, if I'm in that place, if I'm standing ready because I know the fight's coming, now I want to know what weapons do I have. I actually want to know what it means to have a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. I actually want to know what it means. And I'm interested in knowing the Word of God and how it gives me the tools to defeat the enemy. I actually am interested now in knowing about prayer and how that becomes a strategy for fighting the enemy. When I'm in a fighting stance, I'm going to learn all that. I'm going to want to know all that. But here's the thing. If you're laying down, like if you're laying on the couch, if you're not ready, if you're not standing, it doesn't matter how many weapons you have. It doesn't matter at all. We're not ready to use them. And some of us are, are bent over in sin. And some of us are bent over in pursuit of all kinds of false gods. And so you know what's happening? Getting killed by the devil. Not even ready for the fight. And so there's really no threat then of any kind, right? Not to him or his demons. In fact, we're maybe even furthering the evil in the world around us. No demon is actually scared of us because we're not standing. The first and most foundational thing we have to do in this conflict, in this battle against the devil, is to stand, to stand up, to get in a fighting stance, to be prepared and ready for the fight that's coming because we're a Christian, because we're a believer, because we're a disciple, and because the devil hates Jesus Christ and all those that he loves might lead you to the question, well, okay, I want to stand. How do I stand? Tell me how to stand. I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 10, our very first verse of our text. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, you and I don't actually stand in our own strength. We, we can try. And for those of us who have ever been in those battles trying to do it on our own, we've lost. It's beat us up. It's tossed us around. We don't stand in our own strength. It's not our might. It's not our power that we stand in. It's his might. It's his power. And here's what I want you to hear this morning over everything else. The good news of the gospel is you can stand because Jesus stood for you. That your strength, that my strength, that our power to stand and get into that stance and all the other tools that we'll talk about next week first begins with Jesus stood for us. That's where the strength comes from. That's where the might comes from, right? He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You and I can't stand against the devil. We don't have any power to resist the devil. But because Jesus stood for us, we can. We talk about the work of Christ. We talk about the gospel. We talk about the forgiveness of sin. We also need to understand that, that the gospel work of Jesus Christ didn't just forgive us of our sin, but it united us with Christ. Jesus gives us his righteousness. His perfect obedience gets counted as ours, and the benefits of his obedient life becomes ours. Now, if you were to turn back to Luke chapter 4, you don't have to do this. But if you haven't read it or you don't recall it, I'll kind of summarize it. In Luke chapter 4, he's recording Jesus' start of ministry. And before Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he, he is tempted in the wilderness. And it says Satan comes to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus has been fasting, and so he's hungry. And Satan comes and says, hey, hey, Jesus, hey, uh, how about you turn these stones into bread? I know you can do that. And Jesus answers him by saying, man does not live by bread alone. 
And so then the devil, Satan, then takes him up and shows him all the kingdoms of the world, right? All the kingdoms of the earth. Why can he do that? Well, we just read that text that he has power and dominion over the earth, right? He shows him all these kingdoms like, hey, Jesus, I'll give you all this if you worship me. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord alone and serve him only. And and then Satan takes him up to a high place on the temple. And he says, hey, if you'll throw yourself down here, the angels will catch you, right? Again, Satan's what? He's wise. He's shrewd. He's methodical. He's cunning. What is he doing here in this moment? He's quoting scripture back to Jesus, who is the author of scripture. He's saying, hey, doesn't the psalm say that you will, he will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone? Isn't that what the Bible says, Jesus? And Jesus answers. He says, it also says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And in saying that, the scripture records, having defeated Satan, Satan left until another opportune time. Which we know that other time that he tried to defeat Jesus... He didn't win that one either. Through the cross and the burial and the resurrection, he lost again. See, Jesus was victorious over the temptations and the attacks of Satan. He was obedient. He defeated Satan. And not only in his obedient life, but in his victorious death, in his victorious resurrection, so that you and I as disciples of Jesus Christ can stand against the devil Because Jesus stood in our place for us on our behalf. We have his strength and might. We don't stand in our own strength. We don't stand in our own clever ability to apply the truth of Scripture. We stand in the confidence in what Jesus has done on our behalf. And in the confidence in the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit to actually give us what we need as we are in that fighting stance to fight against the the temptation to resist and avoid the temptation of the devil, the fight against Satan. You and I can stand in his strength and the power of his might because he stood in our place. So let's ask him for the grace to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you didn't leave us in this battle to fight alone or by ourselves, but you, you've already won the victory. We are in this this battle, this fight against evil, not trying to win because you've already won. God, let that comfort us. Let that strengthen us. Let our eyes be on Jesus and his victory. Let our our comfort and our peace come from, from the truth of Scripture that he is with us, and if he is with us, who can come against us? God, I know that there are times throughout our lives that we we face the the pressing in of the evil. We face the temptation and the trial and the, the battle. But God, you've given us a great hope that only comes through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, if there is someone in this room or watching who doesn't have that hope, may they respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, inviting them home and to know that hope right now. May there be a moment of clarity where they see they can't do this on their own, where they recognize their sin has separated them and where they humble themselves and ask mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. May they ask for his salvation. God, do a work that only you can do. And God, help us to know that 
that in that work that you have begun, you will complete, that we have the strength of your might. We can trust and depend on you and your steadfast love and mercy and grace. You are the authority. There is none higher. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.